You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I do love the hymn we just sang. I know that's a new one for many of you. I I think there's something about the line, um, Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I see his blessed face that I I find so moving. Fanny Crosby, who wrote that hymn, was blind, and the hymn we just sang testifies to her faith in God's promises. On that day when she could finally see, her eyes would fix and focus on Jesus first of all. It's beautiful. But there was a lot of confusion in Fanny Crosby's day, as there is in ours, and really as in the days of Paul as well, about life after death. You may recall that they uh, gave Paul a pretty fair shake on Mars Hill. Back in the book of Acts, Paul makes a claim there about the invisible God now being made visible in the face of Jesus, and, and the crowd gave him a hearing. They took his ideas seriously as an act of philosophical disputation. But when he turned to discuss the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead, you may remember what happened. They laughed Paul off the stage. Even the Corinthian believers, members of Christ's church, were having a hard time with all this stuff. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? This is the question that we heard asked in our reading this morning. Paul answers the question with a kind of rhetorical rebuff. What a silly question, but the question really is fair enough. How in the world do people who die, whose bodies become separated from their animating soul, how do they continue? From dust we were made and to dust we will return. And let's make a matter very clear this morning as it pertains to Paul's theology in the Bible. The resurrection of the dead is central to Paul's view of the Christian life. If the resurrection of the dead is a myth or a hoax, if the early disciples experienced some kind of internal renewal or inward light and called it Jesus' resurrection while his bones continue to rot away in Joseph's tomb, if the resurrection becomes a kind of metaphor or symbol for our own inner religious experience, if any of that is true, then as far as Paul is concerned, all bets are off. Back in verse 32 of this chapter, he says, then eat, drink, and be merry if Jesus is not really raised from the dead. To to put it in our terms, if Jesus didn't raise bodily from the dead, then let's start planning the Advent trip to Las Vegas. Look for it in the adventurer. No resurrection of the body, no Christianity for Paul, period. So the book of Corinthians that we've been studying this summer ends with a bane because its subject matter is central to our faith, the resurrection of the dead. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. You know, I think if we were left to our own thoughts, we might be able to make some sense of a continued state of consciousness after our deaths, a kind of spiritual existence no longer confined by the body. And there are various kinds of religions that espouse these ideas. Maybe these are the kinds of thoughts you might have on a long winter's evening about consciousness and and having a body. And does the immaterial part of our being just fade away once we die? And how could it? Do thoughts continue to exist somewhere in time and space? I mean, these are big questions. I stumbled across this passage from Rebecca Goldstein in her book, Betraying Spinoza, 
She raises these questions of human existence and identity, and I'd like to read it to you this morning. This is what Ms. Goldstein has to say. I stare at the picture of a small child at a summer's picnic, clutching her big sister's hand with one tiny hand, while in the other, she has a precarious hold on a big slice of watermelon that she appears to be struggling to have intersect with the small O of her mouth. That child in the picture is me. But why is she me? I have no memory at all of that summer's day. No privileged knowledge of whether that child succeeded in getting the watermelon into her mouth. Yet she's me. That tiny determined thing in that white frilly pinafore. She has continued to exist. She survived her childhood illnesses, the near drowning in a trip in a rip current on Rockaway Beach at the age of 12 and other dramas of life. There are presumably adventures that she, that is I, can undergo, can't undergo, and still continue to be herself. Is death one of those adventures from which I can't emerge as myself? The sister whose hand I'm clutching in the picture, she's dead. I wonder every day whether she still exists. A person whom one has loved seems altogether too significant a thing to simply vanish altogether from the world. A person whom one loves is a world, just as one knows oneself to be a world. How can worlds like these simply cease altogether? But if my sister does exist, then what is she? And what makes that thing that she now is identical with the beautiful little girl laughing at her little sister on that forgotten day? You see, we don't tend to think about these deep problems of human existence in the normal warp and woof of our lives. But I do believe moments come when we're forced to ask the question that Miss Goldstein asks. How does a human being continue in its existence once the physical earthly body is no more? And God, through Paul this morning, gives a resoundingly clear answer to these questions. The answer? The resurrection of the dead. A resurrection whose promise is guaranteed because Jesus is already raised from the grave. A kind of deposit or, or first fruit of what is to come in time. Now admittedly, I admit it this morning, this is not an easy doctrine. Christians struggle with it and there are all kinds of strange ideas out there about the resurrection of the dead. At funerals, for example, well-meaning Christians might, might look at the body of their loved ones in a casket and try to encourage others by saying, that's not them, that's just their shell. Perhaps you've heard someone say that. And Paul wants you to know this morning that's, that's not quite true. That body that goes into the ground is a seed, it's a, it's a perishable thing that goes into the ground dead but it emerges on the far side with a glory and a splendor that never fades away. There's some kind of profound continuity and discontinuity between our earthly bodies now and our resurrected bodies. And Paul's really clever in this passage. He uses illustrations in the world around us to show that the idea of a resurrected body is not that crazy after all. Let's take trees, for example. They're remarkable things, aren't they? How does that big oak or pecan or pine tree in your backyard exist? How does it grow? Where does all that material come from? 
Well, it comes from a seed or an acorn from which it grows and then cells reproduce and yada, yada. You know, that's kind of the textbook answer. That's right. But when you think about it, trees are a kind of miracle right in front of our eyes. From these little seeds, this remarkable and grand thing emerges over time. Trees are marvelous. They're a testimony to the wonders of our world. And Paul wants you to know, if God can do that, if he can make a tree from an acorn, he can certainly prepare bodies for us that are in accord with a resurrected self. This is what Paul says in verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So what kind of body is it? This is the question we all want to know, right? What are our resurrected bodies like? Well, buckle your seatbelts because this gets a little bumpy, but I think really exciting and life-giving. I want to read to you verses 42 through 44 one more time. Hear what Paul says. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now let's work backwards in these three verses and aim for some clarity on what I think are very crucial points. When Paul describes our bodies now as some translations say physical bodies, that's an unfortunate translation, or natural bodies, and then describes our resurrected bodies as spiritual bodies, he is not, and this is really important because it's potentially confusing, he is not thinking of spiritual bodies as spirits without a physical body. Paul is speaking about two different ways of being physical or being bodily. The spiritual of spiritual bodies refers without doubt to the Holy Spirit. So our resurrected bodies on the far side of our deaths are bodies that are animated totally and completely by the Holy Spirit, by God, without any of the decaying or deteriorating character of our natural bodies now. I know this is thick, right? And I hope I haven't lost you. But this is such good and exciting news about the resurrection of the dead Our resurrection bodies are animated by the free and unencumbered work of the Holy Spirit. Can you even imagine how wonderful and full that kind of existence will be? And Paul describes it here in these verses with three pairs of contrasts. Let's look at them quickly. First, he says the old body, the natural body, the body you brought with you to church this morning, it's marked by being perishable. It's decaying. But the resurrected body imperishable. It's decay's reversal. Our natural bodies are bodies marked by dishonor or humiliation. Think about our lowly state and our moral infirmities. But the resurrected body, I love this word that Paul uses, splendor, glory, transformed fully into Christ's likeness. The body you brought with you to church this morning, it's weak, 
It knows all the constraints of human existence. It knows what it, the inability to live fully and to our purpose. We pray about it every week here. There is no health in us. We're weak. Versus the resurrected body, which Paul describes as powerful. Unleashed in the freedom and the effective energy of the Holy Spirit, fulfilling fully what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. Years ago, I ran across a, a Far Side cartoon. I don't think those are still around, but many of you will remember those. And there were two men that were sitting on a cloud in heaven, halo and wings, and, and, and the cap, they were talking to one another, and the, the caption said, if I would have known it was so boring up here, I would have brought a magazine. Paul wants you to know this morning that nothing further could be from the truth. Our future existence in the resurrection state is not static, but it's purposeful and dynamic and filled with growth and discovery and activity and rest with none of the decaying effects of our human flesh here and now. The resurrection of the dead is the reversal of human decay. It's the crescendo of life. You know, words really do fail us when we try to describe our future resurrected and glorified state. Language drains after these things and ends, I think, necessarily in silence. But perhaps one of those places, one of the closest places on this earth where we get to this dynamic is with music. In those moments when you are caught up in the beauty and force of a musical moment. It's a moment of transcendence, and it's a moment of bliss. I think those moments are lightning flashes of what existence will be like in the new creation in our resurrected bodies. Yet unlike earthly moments, when the music fades and the sense of transcendence passes, our resurrected state will grow and bud and move toward the music of God's own eternal being. It's the crescendo of life. And that's the moment when we will know what it really means to be human and what it really means to live. I believe these verses that we heard read to us this morning from Paul can give new gravity and new hope and new joy when we confess together, week in and week out in this place, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.